Welcome to another inspirational message from Gateway North Church based out of Winnipeg, Canada. Your Sunday sermon, any day of the week. You know, I know obviously, I mean, it's very obvious that, that Gateway North is entering into this new season, right? That, that things look and feel very, very different. I mean, this, this, is, this is very different. Um, there, there's this thing of just you guys are in this time of transitions. And, and there's, you're walking by faith. You're walking by obedience. And, and I think, you know, I think it's probably fair to say that you're asking the question right now, what does God have in store for us? Because so much of this has been so unexpected. And, and I know enough of the story of where you guys have been journeying to go, this, this has been very unexpected, some of the things that have happened. And so God is not removed from any of that, is he? Like, like the Lord is in all of this for Gateway North. And so there's that. And then alongside this, collectively, we feel the shifting that is happening all around us, that, that the world is shifting, that the world is changing dramatically before our eyes. Societal norms, cultural pressures, serious geopolitical battles. I mean, we saw that this morning there with what's happening in the Ukraine, and that just continues, it seems, to escalate. There's the financial instability that many of us are, are seeing and feeling, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and all that to say this moment in time feels different right now, where we're at. And so then amidst that, we have this celebration called Advent. And I know that you guys have, have been in Advent for the last couple of weeks and hearing messages around that. And, and Advent is simply the celebration of the coming of Jesus into this world, right? Reminding us of the, the depth of our need and this rescue plan that God initiated for us. Advent is, it's about promises. Advent is about covenant, if you will. It's, it's God entering our world to deal with this fractured situation that we see all around us that we call life. Advent is the story, if you will, of God coming close to us and choosing to enter our brokenness and inviting us to live into a new way that is his way. So the question that I have out of that sometimes that I ask myself is, why would God do this? Given the evil, given the wickedness, given the depravity that encompasses so much of this world, given the own inconsistencies that we know reside in our hearts, perhaps we wonder at times, like, God, why would you bother coming into this mess? Why? And the answer is really simple, actually, but profound. And it's because of his love. Because God is love. And and I want to begin this morning with a statement, which happens to be my title, and and it's going to be well known to many of you. As soon as, as soon as, good, it's not up there yet. (laughs) As soon as I say this, you're like, oh yeah. But, but, you know, I want to, I'll be audacious and I want to claim that this is essential theology 
for every single follower of Jesus, every single one of us. And that is this. So here it is. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Period. But, but I want to explore that a little bit deeper this morning. I want, to, I want to ask the question, why can we believe this? Why would we be able to claim this? And why would we believe this for ourselves? How, how can we be so sure that, that this is true for every single one of us, for the entirety of our lives, regardless of the situations that we encounter and face? And, and so I want to I work this back a little bit. And I, I want to see what confidence that we can gain from Scripture as we look at why can we believe that nothing can separate us from God's love. So, first, why can we believe this? Because love is at the core of God's nature. At the very epicenter of God is love. Another way to try and explain this would be that it is part of the very essence of God, that, that he is love. This, here's the problem, though, we have. Love is a very, very ambiguous word in our culture. I think we all know that, and, and especially in the West, when we talk about love, man, like it's a smorgasbord of like, what are you talking about? The, the scope of its meaning is, is vast. H how do you even define that word now in our culture? And, and as a result, it has become many things to many people. So how many of you have heard about the love armband controversy that was at the beginning of the World Cup? Few of you, right? It was, it was in the news quite a bit. There was several European soccer teams. Uh, they were going to wear these uh, love armbands with the rainbow colors on them to promote inclusion and diversity and to protest some of Qatar's laws and treatments of its own people. And so this was it, was, it was, it was a statement. It was a political statement that they wanted to make at the World Cup. Not surprisingly, this was not well received by the host nation. I don't think we have to wonder why that would be. Besides, you know, highlighting this clash between Western ideologies and differing cultural norms, what it revealed was how differently love is defined in our world. Because if you ask the Qatari people, they would not say, oh, they, they would admit, yeah, we, we love, but they have a very, very different definition of that. So when we speak of God's love, and its essence, how we understand it is crucial. And to do that, I want to I begin looking this morning just at a few verses in Exodus 34. Before we go there, just, just some quick context here. So this is Exodus 34 is after the whole golden calf incident that happens, right? Moses comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Aaron has led the people into idol worship with this, this golden calf that he's He's made for them. And so Moses smashes the original Ten Commandments. And they're back to this. And, and then so after that, Exodus 33 records Moses asking God in this dialogue that happens. He says, show me your glory. 
I want, God, I want to see your glory. And so what God does is he calls Moses back up Mount Sinai. And remember, it says there in Exodus 33 that, that Moses and God, that God spoke to Moses as to a friend face to face. Like, it's one of those things in the Bible you go, what, what was that like? So he calls Moses back up on Mount Sinai to chisel out these two stone tablets so that God can write the laws on them again. That's another interesting little note that it says God actually wrote them. So this is where we're at. So Exodus 34, if you want to turn with me, um, we're going to read verses 5 to 7 here. So then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Not going to deal with all of that this morning. I'm just, I'm reading it more for context. Uh, we, we could spend the whole rest of our time and more just looking at the intricate details of this and the theological implications for us. We're not, we're not going to do that this morning. I'm going to keep it simple. And that is this. this. This is God revealing himself to us. So Old Testament scholars, they have called this the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. That's a really interesting way of putting it. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project calls this the John 3.16 of the Hebrew Bible. Or as John Mark Comer says, if any of you know who he is, he says, this is ground zero for a theology of God. And God is declaring here to Moses and to us the essence of who he is, his character, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. And that, that just means they're maintaining love to thousands. That just means he's, mean, he's maintaining his love to people over and over and over again. Lots and lots and lots of people. It doesn't stop at thousands. It's, it's just tons and tons and tons of people. And this, this revelation of God's nature that we see here, it's, it's also it's spoken of throughout Scripture. It, 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 is, it, it pops up in the Bible again and again and again. Joel references it. Jeremiah references it. Nehemiah references it. And they all go back to these words when they reveal and they talk about who God is. It's, it's, it's just, it's part of the fabric of Scripture. This is God. But, but back to then this pertinent question here. How do we understand this love? Two, so the two, two Hebrew words for love and faithfulness here are hased and amet. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. We don't actually have an equivalent for the word hased in the English language. This is where it gets a little bit tricky for us. 
And so it's, it's translated, actually, if you look at different versions of our English Bibles, this word is translated into a bunch of different terms, depending on the translation, because we're trying to encapsulate something here that we simply, we can't communicate well in one word. We, we try, but we can't. Hebrew scholar Daniel Block, he speaks of it being a covenant term. So hesed is a covenant term wrapping itself up in all the positive attributes of God. The word amet, on the other hand, for faithfulness literally means truth. It's, it's speaking of God's trustworthiness, that he's entirely trustworthy. The, the very character of God speaks to this inherent faithfulness. It's who he is. There's also a couple important literary devices that are going on here that, that really help us to understand and to see the wonder of, of who God is. So it's not an accident here that we read back to back of God's love and faithfulness followed by maintaining love to thousands. This is intentional repetition here for us. We're, we're meant to see that this is really, really true. It's like what Jesus does in the Gospels where he says, truly, truly, I tell you. What Jesus is doing there, he's saying, listen, this, this is really true. I want you to get this. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. God's saying, I really want you to get my love. Do you get it? Do you see it? It's who I am, God is saying. And, and his love and faithfulness... They're, they're intricately connected, if you will. God's love is his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is his love. They, they're, they're just, they're intricately joined. You cannot separate them. So it's this thing, again, of covenant. It's, it's the promises of God, or the promise of God. It's the story of God's said and his amet to Abraham. It's the character of God that flows through his relationship to us. So the closest thing that we probably have to understand this is marriage. And, and even in that, given how marriage has come to be treated, it, it's hard to, to understand this. But that's, that's the essence of marriage. Right? The essence of marriage is that we are covenanting together, that you covenant in love and faithfulness together. And it has a legal responsibility to it. That's the thing about marriage, why sometimes people are like, I don't know if I want to enter into this. It has legal implications if you want to break that covenant. So this has said, it's spoken of throughout the Psalms, 126 times to be exact, we read of has said in the Psalms. Psalm 89.2 says, I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. And, and then later on in Psalm 89, God, it's like he interjects and he begins to speak of the coming Messiah. And he says, I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. Now, I, I think that we struggle, or at least I do, because we, we live in a world that is the polar opposite. Right? I think we experience this all the time. We, we live and we experience faithlessness 
all the time. Probably daily, we experience this. Truth is relative. It's, it's dependent on whether it's advantageous to an individual or not to further their objectives. Will I tell the truth or will I not tell the truth? Well, what's it going to do for me? And then people, well, I may not tell the truth. It's all relative, right? My truth, your truth, speak your truth. And, and it leaves us with what is truth. And here's the thing too. Newsflash, people lie a lot. A lot. In fact, guess what? People who come to church lie a lot. Over the years, I've been astounded by that reality. And I might even lie at times. Full admission, I have. Right? So, so I say all that to, because I think that we struggle then because we go, how can God be so entirely and inherently good? Is it really true? Is it really, really true? Yeah, I know it says it. I know that this guy, whatever this guy standing here says, but is it really true that nothing can separate me from God's love, from this hased and this amet? So this brings us back to why can we believe this? And that secondly is because Jesus is love manifested in the flesh. I struggled with this. I don't know. I don't know if that's the, like, the right way to say this point. I don't know. It, it's grammatically, I feel it's a little bit clunky, but that, whatever. Yes. Like, like he's love, right? So the beginning of John's gospel, I love this. John 1.14, where it says there, John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us full of grace and truth. So, This is where, again, it's hard to see in our English translations. This is straight out of Exodus 34. What John is doing here is he is saying he made his dwelling amongst us is literally Jesus pitched his tent. So it's referring back to the tent at the base of Mount Sinai where God's presence dwelt and where God would meet with his people. And John's saying, this is is who Jesus is. He pitched his tent amongst us. Jesus is tabernacling with us. You may have heard that before. And then he goes on, he says he's full of grace and truth. That's actually love and emet. And you go, well, how's that? Well, it's lost in the translation from Hebrew to Greek to English. And it's kind of whatever, not to get into that, all the complexity of that. But, but it's actually John saying it is, he's full of hased and emet. And, and what he's saying here about Jesus is, Jesus is, he's overflowing. He is the very embodiment. He is manifested in the flesh. He is love. He is the very representation of God's love to us. Now, now think about this. For John, he was one of Jesus' close, closest disciples, right? He's in the inner three. And, and this, when you read John in the New Testament, This was just central to him when it came to Jesus. All throughout his gospel and and later, uh, all of his New Testament letters, they all revolve around this love, right? First, second, third John. I mean, first John, for sure, you read and you go, it's it's all about love, all of it. Multiple times, John makes it clear that God showed his love most clearly in sending Jesus into this world. 
you, when you read Jesus's discourse in John 14 to 17, like one of the, one of the, well, no, probably the greatest thing, one of the greatest things ever written in my mind, it, the focus on love is it's evident there. It's, it's everywhere. It's just, it's woven into who Jesus is. Jesus speaks there of the father's love for him and for love for the disciples. He tells them, he says, remain in my love. And then in that, Jesus actually connects our obedience to his ways as evidence of our love for him. And then he connects that to his joy. The fullness of his joy will be in us. So it's this, if you're obedient, you will remain in my love. And then you'll have fullness of joy. It's like, oh. And then in the last part of John 17, Jesus there, he's praying to the father. And he prays for all those who will believe in him. He's praying for you. He's praying for us. It's this incredible little part of scripture. And in praying, Jesus reveals that the love that the father has for him is the same love, the same love, what? That he has for us. Like, do you ever, do you ever stop and go, "How, how is that possible? Jesus says, this is the reason that he was made known to us. This, that was the reason, so that we would know this love. You know, in Mark 10, there's this account uh, of the man that comes to Jesus who has great wealth. Remember that story? And he, and he comes to Jesus and he wants to know what he can do to inherit eternal life. And he tells you, look, like, I've kept all the commandments. I, I, like this guy, this was a good guy. Really, really good guy. In fact, I was having a conversation with someone this week where we were like, this is the type of guy that you would want in your church. This is the, this is the kind of guy. And, and so then he comes to Jesus and they're having this dialogue and Jesus tells him, look, the one thing you're missing is you are held by your wealth. You, you actually need to let go and you need to sell it all and you need to give to the poor because you, this is holding you back from following me. And he couldn't do it. He went away, it says sad. You know what struck me though about that story? And this is, it gets me, is that when in the middle of it, it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. We, we don't read in all the accounts of Jesus in the gospels, you don't read that Jesus loved everyone. We, we knew, we, uh, we read that he loved Lazarus, but you know, all the, all the stuff Jesus is doing, all the miracles, all the way he's touching and encountering people, it doesn't say to everyone, he's, he loves them, but his actions speak love. And the fact that there's that little snippet there in Mark, you go, that's, that's how Jesus looked at people. Even people who were unwilling to follow him. And it's this love that led Jesus into this world, taking on the very nature of a servant, obedient to death on the cross. Why? To free you. To free us. And that, that leads me to the last reason why we can believe that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love. And that is because it's really simple. God is really for you. Like, not like sort of for you, not like maybe like halfway for you, not like he's kind of holding back. He's really, really, really for you. Completely, he's for you. 
So Romans 8, 28, it says that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. Again, not saying that all things are going to be good. He doesn't promise us that. He says, I'm working in all things. And then what is, why? To make you more like Jesus. To conform you to the image of his son. So, so it's all about, I'm working for your good because I want to make you more like Jesus. So God's saying. And then, Romans 8.31 then asks sort of rhetorically, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? And goes on to say, what shall separate us from God's love? Anything? Right? Is there anything? That's what that Roman, the end of Romans 8 is asking. Is there anything that can separate you from God's love? This isn't the promise, by the way, folks, of the good life. It's not. It's, it's not that at all. And this isn't universalism. This is dependent on our relationship with Jesus. It says, if you are living by the Spirit, right, you have to live and walk by the Spirit. It's, it's clear here that as a result of following Jesus, when you look at that passage, we will face hard things. Right? The, the list there in Romans, at the end of Romans 8, isn't like, we're not openly embracing that list. I'm not standing here going, oh, bring that on. Like, no, I'm not. What does it say there? It says, uh, will persecution, famine, nakedness, death separate us? That's not a good list. The Apostle Paul, in, in the, he cites Psalm 44. You know what he cites? Sheep being slaughtered. Oh, that's awesome. The, the point of the list, and, and yes, it's an extreme list. The point is this. Nothing, 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 you can keep saying it, can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Why? Because we are in, when you are in Christ Jesus, our Lord, it says at the end, nothing can separate you. God is really, really for you. His love and his faithfulness are far deeper than we would, will ever know. You know, the last two and a half years, like they are almost, almost, well, yeah, we're almost at three years, but whatever. They, they've been, They've been brutal for so many people. They, they have been, these, this has been hard. And we're, and we're still recovering in so many ways. And the world, again, it just, it feels different what we're living in now. It feels so different. And, and personally, some of you that know me, you know, fairly well, you know, these last two and a half years, they have been the most difficult years of my adult life. Absolutely. This, these last two and a half years have been absolutely horrible for me in some respects. It has been it's it has been brutal to lead a church through this. To try to navigate this. It's just it's been really really hard. And I and I only I say that because I wonder how many of us if we're really honest have struggled to really believe in God's love and faithfulness amidst these times. Like can I really hold on to his said and his amount? Can I can I really do that. And you know what? And this is a thing too then. Satan loves to come alongside of us. And you know what he likes to whisper? Is God really for you? Is God really for you? It's the oldest trick in the book, but it still works. Did God really say that he's for you? 
And so we're battling this. And this is the thing, because we are conditioned to think of love in terms of our feelings and our emotions, when we're struggling in those areas, which we probably all have been to varying levels in, in these last number of years, to a much greater extent, we doubt about God's goodness begins to creep in. And we go, I don't know. I don't know. So what is the basis for all of that confidence that the Apostle Paul has in Romans 8 there? About that nothing can separate us from God's love. His, his basis is God didn't hold anything back to display his faithfulness to us. Nothing. He, did, he says he did not spare his own son. He, God didn't leave anything. He's like, I'm going to prove to you that my said and my met is rock solid truth. I'm giving you my son. So amidst the temptation to doubt, Jesus' willingness to die for us, to secure our freedom, is the love of God displayed most clearly for us. So I've been, I've been recently, I was invited to do this prayer app um, that is done by John Eldridge and it's called the pause app. You can go look for it. It's, it is, I, I was invited to it by my brother-in-law and uh, kind of stumbled upon it. And it, it is, it is phenomenal. It is an, it, it's a, it's a contemplative kind of prayer devotional that takes you through a bunch of different exercises. And, and the focus is this thing of union with Jesus that the only way that we are going to have resiliency in our life and in this world is union with Jesus. And it's true. It's just, it's absolute true in scripture, right? And, and, and what they do is they center this app around the, the prayer in Ephesians 3, the end of Ephesians 3, that prayer, where it's just this incredible prayer about that, that we would know the love of God that, that is deeper and wider and more extensive than anything we could ever ask or imagine. That it's just that, that God's love is just, it's, it's unreal. That this love that surpasses all knowledge and, and this love that we would be rooted and established in, this love that has been and is being poured into us. Right? And in Ephesians 3, there it connects it to being filled with more of the fullness of God. And this is the thing, because that's God's desire for us. His desire is that every single one of us, again, going through this, being conduits for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit flowing through us. You know what that is? That is more of God's fullness being poured into us so that more of that fullness can flow through us to others. So, as we were as we were worshiping today, and as, as as some of those words that were spoken, I, I felt like there was there was something in that for God's heart for you. You know that you're you're on this journey into this new area, West St. Paul, and I'm gonna I'm gonna it'll make I'm gonna connect this in a second. But what what is this love that God wants to pour into us? What is his, what does he want to do with that? 
And it really came through Peter's word this morning, right? What, it, what it was Jesus' command? Love one another. We are, called, we are called to take this love that is being poured into us, and we are called to love one another. And then when Jesus is asked, what's the first commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. So this, this is God's heart and his desire for us. And I, I wonder, you know, when Jess and I were called into Landmark 10 years ago, we, we felt very strongly, we knew very strongly that God was calling us. We had to be in that community. There was no way that we were going to be able to pastor and to, and to be in that community and not live in that community. And so, and God miraculously provided that for us. But I wonder how many of you, as we're, as we're, you're journeying on this, this, this new thing that God is doing amongst you, how many of you might be called to be moving into this region, this area? Why? So that you can be conduits of God's, this love to others. This, this is what God wants to do in us. This, this point of God's love is that it would flow, flow, flow to others. What, what does God want to do in West St. Paul? He wants his love coming through Gateway North to flood this region. So I want to end with this. I have, I have some, some questions that I want to leave with you. Opportunities simply for prayer, opportunities for you to listen to Jesus. Uh, something that I feel is, is helpful for myself, that questions you can take away if you want, and you can journal with the Lord with them. So there's, there's four questions I have. First is, are there areas of my life where I struggle to believe in God's love and faithfulness towards me? Why might that be? Two, where do I desire to experience more of God's love in my life? Where are those specific situations and circumstances where I desire to experience more of God's love? Three, are there areas where I struggle to believe God is really for me? Am I sharing this with Jesus? Am I, am I dialoguing with the Lord? And four, where do I have room to grow in love towards others? What is God revealing to me about this? Thank you for tuning in to the Gateway North podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from God's word. To find out more about Gateway Church, head to gatewaywinnipeg.com.